The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You're listening to Wins Above Fantasy, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network with Van Burnett, and Steve Giswelli. Welcome back, everyone. It is Wins Above Fantasy, episode 81, Friday, December 16th, almost to Christmas, almost to the new year, which means we're almost to pitchers and catchers. We're here to talk about how you prep for draft season and throw out a few pitchers that we think are draft values. You guys can follow the pod on Twitter at Wins Above Pod. I'm at Van underscore verified, and Steve is at Stav8818. Give us a rating and review. We'd appreciate it this offseason. True Christmas gift. We only got a handful out there, so keep them, keep them coming, guys. And speaking of the holiday cheer, have to get into a, a quick housekeeping note. I owe a quick shout-out to Joshua Clark on Twitter, at JCBStone64, who guessed all of my little baseball ornament guys on my mini tree. Well done, Joshua. But folks, it is a night of of mixed feelings here because Steve is actually not with us. He is out sick, running a high fever, as well as the baby girl. So thoughts out to the Giswelli family. Hope you guys can get healthy for the holiday season. And I figured I'd raz Steve a little bit because he occasionally misses a massive guest. He missed Ariel Cohen last year and he was devastated about that. So I got to twist the knife a little bit here, Steve, because you're missing a fantastic guest one, David Mendelson, co-founder of Triple Play Fantasy, contributor for the 33rd team on the football side of things and on Fantasy Pros for the baseball side. You guys can follow him on Twitter at DMendy02. Mendy, we've got a little history ourselves, but it is an absolute privilege having you on. Thanks for listening to my seven-minute monologue intro. How's it going, man? Dude, thanks for having me, man. We go way, way back. So to reconnect on here is an absolute treat, man. Thanks so much for having me on the pod. Yeah, and and for those who don't know, and I don't know why you would, but let me <laughs> let me dial back about uh, 30 months ago when COVID had just hit us, April of 2020. Mendy reached out to me and just said, hey, man, I saw an article you put out about Jack Flaherty because I'm a big homer and I wrote a breakout piece that didn't really come to fruition. And he said, would you like, would you like to come onto our podcast and check it out? And I was flattered. I did. Mendy, you were talking about how, you know, just thinking back that far, it's crazy. It was only two and a half years ago, but we were both kind of at the infancy of our, our fantasy careers, if you will. 
Now I'm doing the show with Steve on the Pitcherless Network. Uh, you are just doing so many things out there, man. I'm wondering like how you even sleep. Uh, but yeah, dude, isn't it crazy to just look back and think about what what has happened in those those 30 months? It is, dude. Like we were talking before the show, just you know, we were recording that episode on Anchor, which for those that don't know, that was the recording app back then before StreamYard became a big deal. And you didn't see each other like on video. It was literally recording just audio and just through your phone. It wasn't even on a computer. And that was what we had Van on. And, you know, we saw that article. We were like, he, you know, he writes for picture list like Van's. We got to get Van on. This is our first legit guest. And uh, it really was, man. Like that was one of our favorite episodes. And it's always something that stuck with me. And come two and a half years later, you're doing big things over at Pitcherless still, got your podcast, still doing great writing, and you know, we're still doing triple play. And I little cheesecake, Art Tornabeni, for those that do listen to Triple Play, he put out a stat the other day that he said ninety nine percent of podcasts don't make it past four episodes. So Wow. Look at that, man. We're still we're both thriving right now. We've made it, man. Yeah. What's your I mean, your guys' count has to be up there because Steve and I were once a week and it's every other week in the off season. So we're at eighty one and, and we're already talking about how the big one hundred <laughs> has to be like a celebration. But do you do you guys know the number? Like do you count them off? Yeah, I, I think we're at like hundred and sixty something like hundred and sixty eight. I have to go back and look. We're we're like closing in yeah. on this closer to two hundred. Uh, but it's been a journey, man. It's been a fun ride. Obviously, you guys, for your 100th, I know you're going to do it big. It's crazy to think you've done that many episodes if you go once a week and you're committed to it. You know, everybody has their other jobs and things that they do, but you make that commitment every week to go on and record. It's it's not easy, and uh, you guys have done an awesome job with it. Thanks, man. And back at you, I mean, honestly, and, and with all due respect, but I mean, you were talking about Anchor and the app, but like I went back and just for, for nostalgia's sake, listened to like 10 minutes of where we were at. And I mean, there, there's the audio quality. Yep. There's like both of us are like rusty on our chops, but yep. like the spirit is there. And now you guys are doing awesome stuff. You're guest hosting on, on our network. And I, I listened to the uh, Nick Pollock and Friends episode with you. And it was just like hearing you talk about even like the uh, the five tool baseball, the original pod name, and then that whole journey. I was like, yeah, I, I remember. I was like, that was when I was meeting with Mendy. But dude, it's it's awesome. It's great to have you on. And let's talk about just real quick. You know that that trajectory and what you're what you're working on lately. I mean, I know I rattled it off quickly, but you're pretty deep into the football scene. I know this is a baseball show, and me and Steve. <laughs> as I've conveniently just finished last place in my league, which means I'll have to run the beer mile, Ooh. which is a beer every quarter mile and record it for my, my home league. So yeah, I'm not a huge fantasy football guy, Mendy, but you are all over it. And how do you kind of balance that with ramping into fantasy baseball offseason? It's definitely a struggle in the beginning because once fantasy football season really gets into gear, like late July, early August, that's where I would say like 80% of my focus goes to. And then once we get to like the September, October, November, like that, like it's pretty much like 90, 10. Uh, mm -hmm. I still do the weekly baseball show for us just to make sure I'm not completely oblivious to everything. And I'm still like keeping track of what's going on, who's kind of coming up and doing well in September. So that way I, I'm not completely oblivious to those players once I start doing my prep. 
But I would say starting around this year started actually a little early because I went to first pitch Arizona and one of the best experiences of my life did it already started a slow draft there. We did 23 rounds and um, it like that got me full on like, okay, like I'm, I'm back in earlier than I normally am. And I would say I'm, I've now kind of begun to start really prepping. I still have only really done, I'm doing one best ball draft right now. And then I have the first pitch Arizona one going still that will pick up again in February. But um, I would say probably once the calendar turns to January, fantasy football season is pretty much over at that point. Mm -hmm. I'm like laser locked in to putting out tons of baseball tweets, making sure I have a ton of breakouts, tons of guys I like to draft later on in round uh, later on in drafts and uh, my guys and all that type of stuff. So it definitely is hard to juggle them. So I, I find I do the best job when I kind of almost fully commit to one and kind yep. of put the other on the back burner for a little bit. And then I do the same because if I try to juggle both equally, then I feel like I'm not doing my best analysis for each sport. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense for sure. And that's probably a great feeling because with the new year turning, then, you know, the days are getting longer with daylight and like, mm -hmm. you know, it starts, I mean, granted, February is about as rough as it gets. I don't mm -hmm. know how it is out. You're still out in Baltimore, right? I actually the... just moved to New Jersey in August, so. Oh, nice, still, man. Still Congrats. a little cold here, though. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that, that's where Steve's, Steve's in Hoboken, New Jersey. So oh, he's yeah, in that Hoboken. neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah. you guys should uh, meet up for a drink in the draft yeah, season. Yeah, that would so. be dope. Nice. But yeah, that's got to be cool to to shift. And am I right in theorizing that we're catching you on wins above fantasy here at the very early stages, you're kind of formulating, finding out who your guys are, so to speak. Is is that accurate? You're, you're early in the game. Yeah, I've already identified a few guys that I've talked about on the Triple Play podcast already that I know are going to be my guys because I, I dug in on them for a breakout episode we did a couple weeks ago. But I've been more like, you know, the trades have been happening and now values for certain guys that didn't have value before are now starting to creep out. I'm, I'm seeing those. And uh, believe me, like this is definitely like the earlier stages of my prep, but like come and, you know, once the weather starts that, you know, winter starts getting, days start getting longer and the weather's, it's like all baseball. And like, I'm so pumped for that because I love fantasy baseball. It's like one A, one B with football. So like, I'm going to be all in and like this is was a really good exercise to really start honing in on some of the guys and some of my processes that I normally do every year. Uh, just kind of more haven't fully done it yet, but kind of like started scraping up some stuff that I normally do. Uh, yeah, that that makes sense. I was tuning into some of you guys uh recent stuff and it's all good. You guys should check it out. And on Twitter, they're triple. I'm sorry, trip play fantasy. Um, so be sure to go out and check out some of those podcasts. Mendy, is there anything else in the baseball space that you got cooking up that we should be aware of? Any, uh, you know, any writing pieces or are you mainly focused on the podcast, which is me, by the way, I'm, I don't know how you guys <laughs> juggle the, the timing of it with my real life job. I'm like consistently stressing out mm -hmm. doing like creative direction for advertising. When I, when I do get on, it's like podcast weekly mode. To, to add in even more than that is is admirable, but I want to make sure you can share the work that you're you've got coming up and, and where we can find it. Dude, we're like simpatico. Like I knew that we have a lot of similar. It's the same thing. Like I stop. I haven't written an article, football or baseball, since July. Uh, just because, like last year, I was doing art, two articles a week for the thirty third team. I was doing 
an article a week for fan tracks. I was doing an article a week for fantasy pros and I was just like getting burnt out wow. and on top of like the podcast. So like in July with, I, we were starting to prep for the move and I just said like, I need to stop writing for a little while. Just like focus on the video content. I think once baseball season rolls around, I talked with Eric Cross at fan tracks. I'm going to do rankings for them. I'm going to like definitely contribute for rankings uh, and then I talked to it. fantasy pros and I might be doing uh, maybe like a monthly article for fantasy pros, but that's about in terms of writing and that type of stuff, as much bandwidth as I can do right now. Like you said, with like so much focus on video and like doing the podcast, just it's, it's you don't have the same type of time you had, you know, a year or two years ago. So it, sometimes you kind mm -hmm. of pick and choose what's thing that you enjoy the most doing. And I think for, for us, we for kind sure. of narrowed that down. This, these are the type of things we enjoy. Yeah, it's a different. If it's a different channel, it's still a huge amount of work. I mean, there's a there's an art to the article mm -hmm. writing, and that's before I got to my my current job where I'm doing like creative direction. I was a copywriter, so I felt this pressure as well. Where like you know, blurbs are different. I've done mm -hmm. some like some of the pictureless page blurbs, and that's kind of you know you just hammer them out. But when you're doing like a piece you feel like you really want to like sink your teeth into it and, and do all the research. So yeah. I totally get it. But yeah, we'll look forward to that. Uh, love the Eric Cross work. Love Fantasy Pros. That's a part of my prep as well, which we can uh, get into. So we're going to talk about how Mendy approaches prep, myself as well, and definitely get into some SP names that we like this season. But first, we're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, so Mandy, without further ado, let's talk about uh, the big picture here on how we approach prep for the season. So we talked a little bit about when you start prep in January and, and kind of shifting off from football and on to baseball. But talk me through overall kind of what your prep looks like. And, and there's no magic bullet on this, so you don't have to give any trade secrets away. But I know you and I are both big podcast listeners mm -hmm. in addition to the ones that we put out. Uh, talk a little bit about kind of what you listen to and, and what, uh, you know, beyond that, any sort of research that you do on your time uh, to begin formulating those opinions, because right now is it really is fascinating. Each year you go from this this preconceived notion of a player to like, oh, I missed what they did in the second half or mm -hmm. new team context. Then there's names that kind of come out of nowhere that you've never heard of and you got to formulate the opinion. So it really is an exciting like blank slate time and curious how you 
approach that at the highest level? Well, we're in a day and age where there's so many resources that are free and available that you got to maximize everything that's out there for you. Like things like this one isn't free, but like, like this weekend, I'm going to be looking through the baseball forecaster for oh, baseball yeah. HQ. Like that Bloomberg and yeah, all like these guys, those guys yeah. know what they're doing. Great dudes. Talk to them at first pitch. Like, you know, that's a resource. You have the online resources that are for the three big sites I use being baseball savant fan graphs and Brooks baseball. Like there's tons of data you can look at on there. And then like, just like you were mentioning, listening to podcasts, like Nick Pollock is going to be as good a source for pitching information, whether you agree with his opinions or not, he gives you all the facts and the information that you need. So like you can form your own opinions based on what he says, but he'll tell you this, Hey, his four seam had four inches of ride on it. And the patters had a, you know, 16% swinging strike rate on his fastball. Like these are all actual statistics. These aren't just his opinion. These aren't opinions. So like you get that type of stuff and you have specialty areas gaining the edge Fantasy, which is a great Patreon started by Bubba and Simeone and Curlin and Jorge uh, Montanez. Like Curlin digs in really deep with lineups and he digs in with, you know, guys that had great second halves or guys that are doing really well in spring training. Uh, so I want to shout him out too because he puts based a lot of free information on Twitter with his lineup stuff. So like utilize all these resources and then. You find stuff that works for you too. Like uh, I was big on Dylan Cease a few years ago and I was just looking up articles about him when I was doing research on guys and they talked about that they had Ethan Katz join the team as the pitching coach and he was the one that transformed Lucas Giolito from a yep. nobody to a somebody and yep. talked about how he was able to use, you know, basically, uh, uh, I forgot the what he used exactly, but he basically helped focus on Dylan Cease's command, which was a huge thing that was, and it's still not great, but uh, he was able to really work with Dylan Cease and, and give even better results arguably for him. So like, it's that type of stuff that like, if you're starting to, if you look at a guy's peripherals and you really like the stuff they have, then you can look up articles written by tons of different people and you can find things that can connect the dots to breakouts or things that you, you should be drafting. So long winded way of saying use everything that's out there available to you there's so much free stuff and things you can listen to it's all about putting the time in to get the best knowledge and put the best prep together yeah that's perfect i mean that's 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 what we're we're looking for and for people who you know are more new to to fantasy baseball are not you know as experienced because i've had a, a handful of people reach out to me and they're like man sometimes it's like you guys are speaking a different language and and quickly you get used to it with with the mm -hmm. stats and we can talk about some of our favorite ones but some really basic resources too that i like to go to are, are you know roster resource mm -hmm. on on fan graphs where you can go to each team and just look at their projected lineup you know throughout the off season more projections come out from different systems so Right now, I think Steamer is the main one that's released. But when ATC yeah. comes out, that's that's Ariel Cohen, who we mentioned, who kind of, I guess you could say, aggregates or finds the the median of different projection systems to basically throw out stat lines. And it's they're not gospel, but there's been a lot of metric research projects that have been done that say more often than not, projections will be pretty close. So. You can you can look at them and kind of like you were saying with Nick, you can find where you differ, and that can be a good source to kind of figure out if you're mm -hmm. you're higher on a guy or or if you're fading a guy who you're not really buying it. 
but but those are a couple good ones. Otherwise, everything you said is is exactly right. Like I love soaking up as many podcasts as we can. Uh, you mentioned Nick. I love you know when when Nick and Alex Fast are mm-hmm. talking pitching on 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 the corner. It's a nice way to kind of hear both sides of the debate a lot of times. Um, and, and like you said, it's it's really just hearing where they stand on pitchers, knowing full well that nobody nobody gets it right. There's no mm-hmm. crystal ball on this stuff. So you kind of just got to start formulating your opinions uh, in terms of the stats itself, Mendy. Because Steve and I, you know, and I think the whole industry, it's like we go to baseball savant, you kind of oversimplify by looking at if the page is is red and you, there's a lot of things to be excited about for yeah. a pitcher or a hitter. Uh, but there's some some digger or some some deeper digging that really should be done. And sometimes it's it's other stats that aren't as uh, visual as as like the savant pages. I know Steve and I last year on one of our basically one of our podcast episodes that ended up being the most correct was when we looked at K minus BB mm-hmm. risers. And it was like, if we would have listened to that advice when we actually gave it in late April, we would have been in great shape. Um, but are there any stats or any things that you look at personally for either hitters or pitchers that you really kind of start with or that you think is a good indicator of of a breakout? Yeah, so K minus BB is definitely my favorite, and you mentioned like that's I think become one of the standards in terms of first things to look at K and and walk percentages as well, whiff rates. Uh, but two I think ones that are a little bit more under the radar that I look at for pitching, I look at pitch movement. So if somebody's you know curveball has a couple more inches of drop towards the end of the year and you see the results that that gets like that could be open up a whole new thing for a pitcher or a couple more inches of ride on a fastball like you look at the movement the vertical and the horizontal movement on pitches uh, and you can see the biggest risers from year to year on that so you can see if that's you know helping a pitcher you know if if someone's getting more arm side run onto hitters then you know maybe that it's making their their stuff when they go away uh, look that much harder to hit but then at the same time one of the things i think i've really started liking is I look at run values on pitches and Mm -hmm. when I can identify pitchers that maybe are a little bit more under the radar, but have one really good pitch, it just takes tinkering with something in the off season to get something else there. That was my big thing with Christian Javier last year was he had one of the best sliders in baseball. It was just absolutely filthy with his run, the run value on it. And then he just was able this year with his fastball, his fastball became one of the best fastballs in the league, but he already had that slider that was insane too. So like that fastball became a real weapon for him. He actually used it like 60% of the time this year uh, and it's arguably one of the best. So that there was guys that I start looking at like, Hey, is there, are there pitchers that have a, a one pitch that has a really insane run value to it, a negative run value. And is this the type of guy that I, I feel like could, keep that type of pitch success up and then maybe he tinkers and and develops a second pitch that could uh help go alongside that so that's those have been kind of things i've adapted in my process over the last few years and to help identify some breakouts yeah that's great i know you talked about cease earlier and i was cracking up with steve when we were looking at his run values a minus 36 on the slider which is just like you know triple what would be an awesome run value. So um, that, that's a good one. I, I'm curious, when when you're talking about, you know, ride and, and movement, 
you know, is that something, especially around like splits, do, do you go to Brooks for that? Or is that something on Baseball Savant that you you look at? Or, or can you share kind of the best way that you go about that? Because I think movement is something that's a little undervalued. And a lot of times some of the pitchers who you're like, how are they good when mm-hmm. they don't have a, a huge whiff rate or something? And it's like, well, they're getting movement and it's deceptive and it's leading to weak contact. So curious if you if you've got like a certain way you you go about looking at pitch movement yeah so i do so what like obviously you can first just go get any stat page and see like hey last six games given a pitcher's given up three earned runs or less and then they were blowing up before that why all of a sudden did things change so then that's when i go to brooks baseball because brooks baseball you can break down each thing by start uh, they'll show you the, the number of pitches of each thrown. They'll show you the percentage of each pitch thrown in a start. They'll show you the mile per hour. They'll show you like movement. So you could even see like one of the things that you might be like, hey, all of a sudden guy was averaging 92. And then his last six starts, he's been sitting at 95 on his fastball. Like he got a velocity increase. So like you're able in Brooks baseball again, like breaks that down per start. So you can see if there's been changes with their arsenal or, or changes with how uh, how fast or how much a pitch is moving. Uh, so that's just kind of just being able to stay on top of things. If you're in the middle of the season and seeing someone break out, you can put the pieces together of why that is. That's that's mainly what I use Brooks Baseball for. I know there's a lot of other great uses for it too, but uh, that's that's kind of the site I use for that type of information. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of flexibility on on uh, splits there, and and yeah, I'd be remiss, you know, as a company man, the the pitcher list player pages, yeah, Mendy, you might need to get into the I do into because the rhythm of it. Nick is creating a monster over there, and I just it's one of those things like when you're so used to the things that you're like customary looking at, you know where everything is. But uh-huh. I know Nick is putting his blood, sweat, and tears into that thing, and I know it's like. I remember when he, it was last year and just like looking at it and like he's making it even better. I, I have no doubt it's going to be like one of the best, if not the best tool in fantasy baseball. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm exactly where you're at, dude. It's like we're creatures of habit, um, but I, I'm learning about it even within the team here. And, you know, just listening to uh, Fast and, and Nick talking on a recent pod, mm-hmm. I didn't realize, uh, which is probably on me on some video I didn't uh, pay close enough attention to. But like on the game log for the pitcher play pages, on each game you can you can hit like an expand plus sign and it'll show the SP roundup that Nick did the write up specifically for that pitcher of that game. So for like a a Hunter Green breakout where people are talking about how the last five ish starts of the season he was lights out. If you're wondering kind of what was happening there or what pitches were leading to that, you know Nick's kind of done the work for you on that. So that's mm-hmm. a, that's a cool tools as well yeah um but no that's that's awesome i mean in terms of stats i think i'm with with you on a a lot of that but steve has really converted me because i used to be kind of an oatmeal type of fantasy drafter and now after two seasons with steve and i think this will be music to your ears he's really converted me as a stuffist where we're really looking at high whiff rate guys (laughs) high swinging strike rate guys and willing to kind of you know, uh, grit your teeth and hope that the command gets better on, on guys like Dylan Cease or breakout candidates. So um, I, I can't wait to hear about some of the players that you've got eyeballed. But um, yeah, are, are you of the same ilk that when you're assessing pitchers who could break out, 
you're really looking for? I mean, you mentioned earlier, like an elite pitch and then hoping that one can take an, another mm-hmm. pitch can take a step forward. That's been become my favorite process now and trying to identify breakouts because I've definitely gotten some wrong, like Aaron Ashby and Tanner Houck were the two other pitchers alongside Javier I was big on last year. Uh, but I do think, I mean, for if you can get one out of three where okay. you can get a ton of that player because of uh, that type of research, and Javier was actually the lowest ranked of all three of them. So, like, if and then leading to Dylan Cease the year before that, like, I, I do think there's something there. And so that's become my favorite thing to do. But then obviously, guys that are that have high whiff rates or, or you know, strikeout rates and, uh, guys that even i mean obviously if they have great control too that's that helps too but like um i I really enjoy digging into the hey you have something that's elite already great like are you working on other pitches to try to get them at least serviceable so you're that your best pitch can play even better fantastic like i think it's to me it's leading to identify some real breakouts that can be slept on yeah for sure and i think i think one other way to look at it because sometimes it can be it can be difficult, right? To, to basically, if you're not listening to someone or reading someone else and you're actually doing your own research, you got to be a little careful on recency bias. But a yeah. lot of times, if you look at uh, first half, second half splits on a season and you see that there's a big breakout, that's kind of a, a you know an alarm to go check out what happened under the hood. And, mm-hmm. and another thing we talk about a lot is pitchers who added a pitch or changed up their pitch mix considerably. And then that led to the results rather than just a run of easy games or kind of a lucky BABIP. So those are just some other things. I want to shift the convo a little bit, Dave, to the ADP and, and projections, because those two things are also in play in addition to kind of resources around the industry. How do you, let's start with ADP. Do you pay much attention this time of year or in general, what's kind of your philosophical view of using ADP to kind of formulate your opinions? Yeah. So I think unless you're like in the main event where ADP literally doesn't matter at all, people could say they don't use ADP, but they do in the sense of like, Hey, this player is ranked in the sixth round. I'm not going to take him in the second round. Cause most likely no one's taken him in the second round. It's kind of like using that to your advantage. Like I think he's a second round player. So I'll go get him in the fourth because uh, right, he should right. still be there in the fourth. Um, I love that, dude. Yeah. I love the I love splitting that because some people make the mistake of saying, you know, he's a he's a seventh round guy. I'm going to get him in the seventh or maybe the sixth. But if you really feel that strongly about a guy when we had we were lucky enough to have uh, Paul Sporer on last winter. And he, he said this about Verlander, where he said right now his ADP is is one fifteen. I, I feel in my heart of hearts, and he's doing the whole Paul Sport thing, and he's like, this guy's a, a number 30 overall player. And he's like, I'm just going to cut out the middleman, not wait for the ADP to shift, and just grab him in like the 40s or the 50s. So like, yes, get the discount, but don't don't cut it too close if you really know that that's your guy. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, like use ADP in a sense of like, okay, like this is roughly where he's going, but I want to make sure I get him. So I'm going to jump two or three rounds to get him. And then like you can get all of him you want because most people, unless they know that those are your guys and they're like, oh man, I have to jump f- four rounds to get him ahead of, of Mendy right. or whatever. Like you can do that. And like, again, main event, that's not the case, but I would say in 90% of leagues you play in, people are using the ADP roadmap in terms of trying to assess when they can draft their guys. 
and they kind of will make a you know whether it's a cheat sheet or they'll make a, a formulated plan of being like i'm gonna look at these guys here in this round look at these guys here in this round it's like okay like yeah like you can make that plan but just make sure that if you feel strongly about a guy that you take them a few rounds ahead of where their adp is but use the adp as kind of like a a roadmap to where you're going to plot your guys yep and i think again kind of a no duh piece of advice here for any newer listeners is you guys can go to that nfbc website just mm-hmm. google nfbc adp and when you get closer to the heart of draft season it's it's an easy tool but just change the calendar filter so that you're not looking at the full off season's adp if, if you're drafting and it's february 28th you want to look at maybe february 14th to the 28th so you're you're reflecting for the latest trends because the last thing you want is to be thinking you're going to get be able to wait till pick 170 and it's a guy who's been going at pick 120 over the past couple weeks so again kind of a a more general or or novice piece of advice there but uh one that can be helpful in the in the home stretch of draft season uh but in terms of projections mendy do you do you read into them do you pay attention to a certain system or how do you kind of view the the projections in general for your prep it may be something that could strengthen my prep if i utilize it the correct way i've never been huge on projections because if anything i'm going to use atcs because ariel takes all of them and averages it out which i think is the most helpful way but you could see something like um i'm trying to remember the player we talked about last night on a, one of our shows, but they, they projected him for like, I want to say it was like 55 games. And I said, I feel like he's going to play way more than 55. Yeah. Games. Playing time, playing time's tough. And sometimes yeah. Steve and I were talking, they'll just like kind of hedge their bets and they'll be like, Oh, well this, you know, uh, O'Neill Cruz, let's give him 115 games. But yeah, if he's got 140 WRC plus, he's going to play about 150 games. You know what I mean? That's right. It's, I, people use projections. I don't use them as much rather than more like, okay, these are the projections. Do I, if I'm like making up, so do I think he's over or under those projections and kind of assess my own value about that player? Uh, because I know many people do look at them and then they make their formulate based on those projections. And I just more, I'm like, okay, this is how the industry is looking at this player. I'm high on this player or I'm low on this yeah. player. And I think that's kind of the only way I really use them. Um, and I think that they're only going to get better and better. And I think at a certain point, I'm going to have to get better with including those in my process a lot more than I do now. Yeah, I think Steve and I talk about it as kind of a opinion solidifier or like a, a stress test, if mm-hmm. you will. If you really like a guy and you go and say, you know, man, all these systems are only projecting him for 18 homers. Maybe he doesn't quite have the the pop that I thought. But you, you want to look closer, make sure that the playing time you agree with or mm-hmm. that, you know, if for some reason they have their home run to fly ball rate at 9% when it's been 16 the whole the whole career of the player, you got to be a little cautious with it. But I love what you said that I think more than anything, projections can be a good litmus test of if you're higher or lower than a player because mm-hmm. when you're in the draft room, your other managers are going to be seeing some of those projections and you know, if if everyone's seeing that a player is supposed to hit 40 home runs and you think that they they strike out way too much and it's going to be closer to 30, you know not to touch them. Mm-hmm. Or the the inverse where, you know, they might have a guy projected out. Or we talked about Vinny Pasquantino where it's like, 
man, if, if they really think he's only going to play 125 games and he's still got 23 homers, like I'll bet the over on both of those, like things of that nature. So um, that's that's good dialogue for sure. Any other closing thoughts on on just kind of the approach to prepping for an offseason? Mock drafts, the leagues you get in. I mean, uh, open floor if you got anything else on this, Bendy. Best ball drafts are great because you can get it's. I think it's better than mock drafts because with mock drafts, people are trying out different strategies. But if you're saying I'm going to try out a different strategy, so is everybody else. So it's, I don't think it's a great reflection in terms of like you're not getting everybody's best. But in best ball, where people are throwing like a $10 best ball, people are like actually drafting. Uh, Mm -hmm. So they're, I think if you're looking to get the draft practice, do some best balls. That's a great way to do it and find your process. Find whether it's listening to somebody, listening to their process, and that you think that that's successful for you and you want to try it for yourself, or if you listen to a bunch of people and you kind of mix and match things to get your own way of doing it. Whatever is going to lead the most success for you in fantasy baseball, I would make sure that's something you can repeat and it's something that you just are able to enjoy doing because you don't want it. It's a grind, but it's fun. So find fun ways to prep. You know, I think it's really exciting once you find a guy and like maybe there's a couple other people in on him too, but you're like, you know what, X, Y, and Z, this player's going to break out or X, Y, and Z, he's going to beat his projection or X, Y, and Z, this player that's going in the second round, I'm not touching and here's why. Like when you formulate your own opinions and you have good reasoning behind it, it's really fun to see how it plays out in the season. And if you're right and you can take your victory lap or you're wrong and you go put your head in a hole but it's it i think it's part of the it's really cool to be able to see uh what you gather in the off season see how it plays out once the season starts yeah it is such a rewarding process and like i'm curious do you have a a home league that's been like your your og (laughs) or do you do mainly like industry leagues yeah we have a home league that's definitely always our main focus and it's funny because you know, with our doing our podcast, the other eight guys in there will listen and take some of our guys or, oh, yeah, you know, we snipe each other, of course, all the time. But that's always going to be our main focus. And then we have, you know, we all do our industry leagues, too. But uh, it, well, I was yeah. going to say on, on the home league and, and for listeners, it's like if you're listening to a baseball show in the middle of December, you're way ahead of the game. And, mm-hmm. and it will be like that throughout the offseason. But kind of what you were saying on formulating your opinion, seeing how it shakes out. One thing I always find fascinating is like once you get to a draft room, more so for like a home league than like an NFBC league, more often than not, you will you will see some wild picks that don't follow what the industry is doing. Um, and because of that, you can look back on your draft and say, you know, I thought that I would have maybe five or six rounds that I really didn't mm-hmm. like my pick because that's how I'm used to, to doing in industry leagues because everyone's going after the same guys more or less. But in those home leagues, you can end up looking back and saying, I liked almost every pick yeah. of my draft. Like that's happened to me in like three years. And I'm like, it's, it's a great feeling to know that, you know, you don't look at your roster and say like, oh, I hate my team, which is how I felt in like grade school when I used to draft. <laughs> so no, that's, that's awesome, man. Well, let's shift into the players, and I got to hype you up, and, and you already stole the thunder a little bit, Mendy, but I I remember early on you were uh, planting the flag on Christian Javier and receiving some flack 
around the industry because people are like, oh, here we go. Another another guy Mendy likes who's not guaranteed playing time or a rotation spot. Yeah. But you kind of bet on the talent and assume that the playing time would sort itself out. So great track record, uh, you know, finding a guy like Cease or Javier, like you said, when that's in the 15th round and beyond, you can afford to go one for three or even one for four. It's Nick Pollock's whole Miss Frizzle method of get messy, try things, and then you're really agile on the waiver wire. So love the track record. And I guess from past years and and you finding some success on sleeper pitchers, if you will, talk to me about this year's pitching landscape, because it is much different, my friend, as basically last year, there's this paradox because the pitchers stat lines were the best of any other year. Like there were a handful of people with the sub three ERA. It felt like I was laughing that Garrett Cole was, it was one of my bold predictions would finish outside the top 10, even with a fully healthy season. And he did, but he's still going as like SP one pretty much. And that's because pitching was just so deep. And yet you look at the draft rooms and most of the mock drafts, the first 18 players getting picked are hitters. So it's like this weird balance this year. It feels a lot different, but like, what's your initial reaction to the SP landscape? And do you feel like you have an approach for, for drafts in general for pitchers? Yeah, I think people, the landscape's changed more this year than it has in the, any year that I remember for fantasy baseball in recent memory. And that's because power is becoming more premium, you know, with the deadenings of the balls and ball changing all the time the, the power is is something people are trying to grab early so that you know they get their power stolen bases have become a premium and guys are you know the jose ramirez is trey turner's you know Bo Bichette's guys that you're like 20 bags 20 home runs plus like all these guys get pushed up because of the stolen bases now this year stolen bases are expected to go up with the bigger bases and only being able to pick off a runner at first twice so i think it's gonna like we saw in the minor leagues this past year stolen bases shot up with this uh, new stuff in there so i think that's gonna be the case this year uh but people want the hitters they want the premium hitters so pitching is getting pushed down like i've never seen before you know you're hearing corbin burns going like in the middle to late second now and last year he was like uh, are you in points leagues he's going in the top three or four picks right so like um you have to adapt with the times i know people say zig when others zag but at the same time like am i going if i have the fourth pick in a draft am i gonna take corbin burns if potentially like I can get a ton of great pitching that gets pushed down because if i take the pitcher and then everybody else takes hitting then I'm going to put myself at a real disadvantage and it's really hard. Like you can get hitters that are hot and you can, you know, pick up hitters off the waiver wire, but one, you have to be insanely invested to be able to keep track of hitters that are, you know, whether it's platoon splits or whether it's, you know, they have a, a, a series in cores two weeks from now, like you have to really be plugged in streaming hitting. And that's why people are like, I'm going to get my studs. I'm going to give them, I'm going to get my categories. And then pitchings become so deep that I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for, you know, the middle rounds to get, you know, the guys later on, like, the, you know, last year it was like the Shane McClanahan's, the Sandy Alcantara's, yep. those guys that you could get, like, you weren't getting them in the first and second round. They were kind of bumping into that four to sixth range. And I think that that's kind of people's philosophy this year. Like you want to draft a pitcher in your first two rounds. Fine. I'll wait till round three or round four before I take a look at it. 
Yeah, I, I think that's going to be, and it's already shaking out that way with mm-hmm. the ADP that like Corbin Burns, ADP of 16, Garrett Cole, uh, pick 20. And then you got like Alcantara, you got Cease, Woodruff, uh, DeGrom and Strider. Those guys are all in the top 40, mm-hmm. but there's such a honeypot, whatever you want to call it, between <laughs> like pick 50 and 100, mm-hmm. where there's probably 15 20 starting pitchers that are going there oh yeah and when you look up and see like a joe joe musgrove at pick 84 and it's like yeah sure i i like brandon woodruff and i actually think he's one of the more reasonable picks but at pick 36 you know when you look at the the difference of a hitter there Mm -hmm. compared to a guy who's pick 80 next to woodruff versus a joe musgrove it's a tough tough read there i think that's that's definitely the the popular approach so far. And yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. One one question, jumping off topic for, for a minute, but I'm curious, Mendy, on the speed. A lot of people have been talking about how with the bigger bases, that the guys who have middling speed, like, you know, teens, that they might be the biggest pe- beneficiaries to go from like 13 steals up to 22. Am I missing something as to why, like, a rabbit, like a, a guy who gets 25 or 30 steals, can they not get like 40 or 45 with the bigger bases? Like everyone said like, oh, they're not going to benefit like a Bichette or, you know, uh, Cedric Mullins isn't going to benefit that much from the bigger bases. Like I'm scratching my head at why they wouldn't just turn into an Aaron Judge of steals. I'm with I you. I think everybody's going to benefit, not just the, the middling guy. <laughs> it's like everybody's stolen bases could jump. Uh, you know, it's... I mean, imagine, maybe they'll just like, be more plentiful throughout, and that's kind of an angle. You know what I mean? Like, if more guys are doing it, then it's less scarce or something. Well, let me ask you a question. Like, this is just like off the top of my head. So, if you're like, we have, I know Kyle Schorber, I think, stole like 10 bases last year, like nine or 10, like somewhere around there. So, like, <laughs> yeah, or like Vlad got like 11. Yeah, yeah. So, or, like, or, or, or ran 11 times. So, Vlad's on first base. They throw over twice. What's to stop him? Besides the the chance that like you know uh, someone could catch the ball and tag him off of first, but what's to stop him from going halfway to second base and then just running on a pitch like th- them like basically saying all right you're gonna take this pitch like they relay that you're taking this pitch he's halfway to second base and just runs and takes it like they can't hold him because they can't throw over a third time right because uh, so are they not allowed <laughs> this is hilarious are they not allowed to step off and just throw to second. <laughs> I don't think I I think they can only I mean maybe I'm wrong, but I think they can legit only throw over like at all twice. That's yeah, that is bizarre, man. Like maybe they just won't burn that second one unless they're really confident they can get him and then yeah. we'll see a fastball every single time someone's attempted two pickoffs. Like it, it it will be crazy, but I still have a hard time believing like what is Vlad gonna turn into like a 14, 15 <laughs> steel guy after getting eight last year, which was crazy as well? Like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. So I yeah, I had to I had to sidetrack there for like a sanity check. But <laughs> but yeah, the SP landscape, it sounds like you are of of the opinion that you'll wait. I mean, when do you want to grab your your SP one? Is it around that like round five range or or, or have you thought that far into it? I still like getting someone that's elite at the top. So like, it's all going to depend where I'm drafting. Probably, mm-hmm. like if I'm towards the top of a draft, I'm definitely going to go hitter, and then I'm going to see who's available to me when it comes back. If I'm on the back end, like the turn, 
I'll probably go like one hitter and one pitcher. Like I, if like Corbin Burns is still, I might, I'll get like Corbin Burns and I'll get a hitter. Um, so I think mm-hmm. it, at the end of the day, it's going to be just how the draft plays out for where I'm positioned. But last year I found a lot of success with doing aces, bases, and closers, the ABCs. So you get your ace, you get your bases, like your person that's going to give you stolen bases uh, and hopefully mm-hmm. some power. Uh, you know, obviously, if they're there, others just at least the steals, and then you get your closer, and then after that, you can play off how the draft falls to you. So you're able to get a good of each category. I, I really liked that strategy, especially with closers getting pushed up as much as they were. I was able to try to get an elite one to give me a solid base for saves. So it, it'll it'll be that same thing again. Like I'm gonna have the more drafts I do and the different spots I'm in, I'm gonna kind of base how I draft, kind of my positioning and who kind of is in those ranges for me. Yeah, I like that. And did you go two closers or just get one and then try to get a little bargain later in the draft? I never went two heavy closers. I can't. I couldn't invest that type of draft capital. I don't know if you feel differently. I, I oh, couldn't no, do man. that. I, I got hammered on, you know, I, I didn't want to pay for saves and it killed me in TGFBI because mm-hmm. I had some good picks throughout, but I was just constantly trying to find the next guy and then like, like there I am cutting Felix Bautista before he took the next steps and I'm just, it was hair pulling. So oh, yeah. this year I'm going to be much more open in the industry leagues to securing closers, like you said. So I, I, I like that. But I, I want to spend some time on the names here because the, the listeners have put in their, their, their due diligence getting this far. Let's open up, uh, you know, one or two guys. We can be a little flexible here who we're both excited about on the pitching side of things as potential draft values. And I'll let you kind of lead us off, Mendy, with uh, a flag plant on your side. One I'm already huge on. I tweeted about it back in like early, like mid, mid-November. I'm going to be all over is Tristan McKenzie this year. Last okay. year, 71.1 innings of a two. Well, let me actually start with this. Tristan McKenzie overall last season – Great, great year. 296 ERA and 30 starts, 191 innings. So he's already got 191 innings last year under his belt. So you'd expect he's going to be able to go 200 plus this year, 190 strikeouts, a .95 whip. Uh, Anytime you have a whip under one, you are already going to catch my eye. But then you dig in a little bit closer. His last 11 starts, uh, 71.1 innings of a 240 ERA, 77 strikeouts. This is where I look at to the the elite pitch. His fastball had an elite minus 17 run value with it. He's also got a great curveball to boot. And one of the big things that you're talking about, if you kind of read up on it, was the biggest thing he had problems with was his control. But you have Stephen Kwan, who plays on the same team as him, talk about, and Stephen Kwan is one of the best contact hitters in the game right now. So when you have a contact hitter saying, it's pretty much an aerial attack. It's like he's throwing it from the trees, like the treetops. So it's really hard to pick up when the ball is coming at you. And then on top of that, he's increased his preparation. He's like the way he's studying the game. The, the Guardians elevated him to the number two spot behind Shane Bieber. He's ranked in the 87th percentile in extension on baseball savant. So that ball is on you quick at six foot five. Uh, wow. You have the deception that he's going to bring you just with the long extension. He's 6'5", and then he's got a power fastball that is great already with a curve that's been really coming along. If you, you Google his highlights, it's it's just nasty. Uh, and he really just kept that going in the playoffs. So Tristan McKenzie, I think, he's not a sleeper, 
because right now he's going at pick 96 on the NFC. Yeah, this is this is the McClanahan range from last year. So that's kind of the ascent that you're, of course, hoping yeah. for. But yeah, that that's the type of range. It's not as deep enough to be a sleeper. You're right. He's not a sleeper. He he actually has, he was 93, I believe, when I first researched him last month. So he has slept, or he's kind of gone down a little, very gradual here. But uh, he's somebody that I'm actually okay drafting as my SP2 if I decide to really wait on pitching. And I, I think he's going to just continue what we saw last year, that he's going to have that, like like that, like you said, Shane McClanahan, like someone that you're like, okay, he's already really good to being like, he's elite. Like he's, he's in our bordering like top 10 to 15 pitchers in baseball right now. Yeah, I, I love the McKenzie one. For some reason, we we kind of fade him. It, it's almost like a... a a body prejudice because of how like lean his frame is. Everyone kind of assumes that he's going to fall apart at some point, but yeah, the volume was, was one of the the brightest parts of that story this season. And if he can stay healthy, he has all the makings to basically be drafted as an SP two, but turn into an SP one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in the second half, you, you saw exactly what that looks like. So I, I love that one. And I had not heard that Stephen Kwan quote. I, I like that as well. That's, that's high praise from uh, kind of an, you know, elite, elite. I mean, that's a guy who's who's bad is like a magic wand. So love hearing that. Um, I don't know where to take mine because you went a little bit higher than, than like in that range. I, I definitely think Joe Musgrove is a little undervalued. Um, I'd be perfectly fine with him at pick 84. I won't have to tell you or the rest of the industry that Christian Javier mm-hmm. at ADP 84 I'm not buying it. I think that's going to be a lot pricier by the time drafts roll around. Um, in the spirit of second half, I went back to the well in my uh, mock draft podcast review with with Nick Pollock and talked about Blake Snell, mm-hmm. who he himself for the second year in a row had an elite second half where he had 78 innings and 105 Ks, a 219 ERA and a 103 whip. Uh, that was the second best starting pitcher in the second half. So Blake Snell, we're all aware that he's a headache. Um, yeah. <laughs> I get it. But Ruben Niebla was the uh, Guardians pitching coach for many, many years and went to San Diego. I have to have to hope that he can try to tell Snell, stay away from the changeup. When you go high fastball, low slider, you're one of the best pitchers in the game. And he's ADP 126 right now. So I still think as burnt out as we are on Blake Snell, I might be back in this season. So I guess I'll call him my my top end one. I can't believe I'm saying it. It's probably going to bite me. Um, but th- that's that's kind of my SP 2-3 and hope that it's better than that if the volume can stay there. But I know Nick um, Paul Case when he throws his change up. Oh yeah, man. And, and he told him on the, he, he was talking with him on the Twitch yeah. to Blake Snell and he was like, the changeup's back, man. And then Nick was like, no. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's great. But let, let's go through some other ones. If, if you got, I, I got a cup, two or three that are, that are much deeper that I want to throw out, but maybe not spend as much time. But who, who's another guy you like, Mendy? Yeah. So I actually have, I did five and I have them kind of descending ADP. So like started at the top and then we can go nice. more down here. Uh, so the next guy I'll talk about, I'm checking where his draft position is 100% here. I think it's just after the top 100 in terms of pitchers is Hunter Brown 
of the Houston Astros. Oh, that was one on my list. So I I saw his ADP was two seventy. And oh, it's what's two, funny? It, it, yeah, it's a lot lower than I thought. Yeah, dude. When when I was go, when I was going to bring this up, let me completely interrupt you. My my lead in that I had already orchestrated was this is a this is a pick out of the Mendy playbook <laughs> because the playing time is not quite there yep. yet, but the skills are elite. So. Talk to us about Hunter Brown. Let's piggyback this one, man. Let's. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's I mean, it. we're both in. Uh, my brother and I, uh, Doc, both uh, pretty much right when the off season began, we're talking up Hunter Brown, and we're going to ride it all the way to the season. He's. I mean, look on the peripheral, just stats last year. Uh, really came on the scene. 0.89 ERA, two and zero in seven games in the playoffs. There was one specific game against the Mariners where he came in. And I believe it was like the 18 inning game or whatever it was. And he pitched in some big spots and just looked like he belonged out there. But mm-hmm. for those that are questioning, is he going to be in the rotation? Let's take a look for a second. Justin Verlander is, oh, is he's gone. He's with the Mets. You have Framber Valdez. You have Ho- Jose Urquidy. You have Luis Garcia. You have uh, Christian Javier. And you have Lance McCullers. Lance McCullers last year missed most of the season with elbow problems. And He's a far from a guarantee to stay healthy. Framber Valdez yes. is, is very, seems like he's very durable, but the re- there's so many questions that rotation. They didn't even let Luis Garcia start for them in the playoffs down the stretch. So, like, I do think like Luis Garcia's starting spot is very borderline. And they were, I was listening to, I forgot which podcast I was listening to, but they were talking about that they think they could trade Jose Urquidy to try to get an outfielder. Was that Prospects 365? It might have been. I, I can't remember which one. But yeah, that's what I that's what I was hearing too, is that if if Urquidy does get moved, which is possible, and I believe Hunter Brown is like, is he 24? Like he's not, uh, uh, I mean, in, in terms of, uh, yeah, yeah, he's 24, 24 years old. 24. So like how long are you waiting with, with, with getting Verlander out of there? Um, I, I, I think that's a, a, a great one, dude. And like one thing, you talked about extension for for McKenzie and Brown mm-hmm. isn't quite as as tall, but six foot two, but he gets really good extension. Had a sixty five percent ground ball rate, which is mm-hmm. amongst the best in that short sample time. And yeah, I mean the the strikeout stuff in AAA, a thirty one percent K rate mm-hmm. in one hundred and six innings. So there is so much to like here, and like it all just comes down to a question of volume. I think Nick Pollock would probably play devil's advocate and say. This is a headache-inducing starting pitcher who can stifle the entire roster, his quote-unquote hipster, because if he doesn't break camp with a rotation spot, are you just kind of like stuck with him? But I don't know, man. Definitely in a best ball, right? Because then... I mean, dude, like you said, he's he's going after pick 200. Like, you don't have to make that huge an investment in him. He pitched combined between AAA and the majors last year. Uh, he pitched like a hundred and what was it? 126.1 innings. And he had combined a 0.42 homer per nine. Like he didn't allow a home run in the major leagues and he was suppressed home runs in the minor leagues too. Uh, like this is the example of draft a guy for his skills, not his role. And he's playing for one of the best teams, if not the best team in baseball, whether he's going to be able to stack up wins. Like this is, this is the value. This is a value pick. Like he's, if you if we hear February first that the Houston Astros traded Jose Urquidy for an outfielder and Hunter Brown is going to be get the fifth rotation spot, his ADP is going to skyrocket. So like this yeah. is the time right now if you're drafting, 
Like this is not where he should be drafted. Like people are scared for that. The you know the the questions that are out there. But he's shown he has the skills, and he's he's done so for a long time. He would have been a starter for two thirds of the teams in the major leagues right now. Like mm-hmm. the reason he's not is because the Astros were stacked. So like this is a guy you have to make sure that if especially if you are you know sleeping on starting pitching and you're trying to grab guys later on, like you got to get Hunter Brown. Yeah, it, it's a great shot. The uh, the fastball, 97, touches 98. He has a really good curveball that gets whiffs as well. So, yeah, I think th- this one right now is is a draft and, and see what happens because McCullers, we know that you can't really rely on the health. And like you said, that still could be a trade with Urquidy. And is anybody better than just organically developing talent for pitchers than the Astros? I mean, they're... Mm-hmm lights out with I mean outside of like a Forrest Whitley you know they're they can't miss so I love that one so can I pair right, like with Hunter Brown this was a guy I was yeah, gonna give, bring give up us too. another one because I only got a couple more so yeah give me give us another this is just a reliever on the Astros too he's not a starter but Ryan Abreu is somebody okay. that I'm gonna be taking in every league uh his ADP right now is 611 and for those that don't know who Brian Abreu is he is was the eighth inning quote-unquote guy. He kind of split that last year with Jesus Montero. But the Astros, he was part of their lockdown bullpen down the stretch. Now, just a a fact for you guys. He trailed only Edwin Diaz, Josh Hader, James Karinchek, Jose Alvarado, Devin Williams, Andres Munoz, and Liam Hendricks among Ks per nine last year. He had 13 K per nine, an average of 13 K per nine, which is eighth most among all relievers in baseball. Uh, So... You hear the guys, you know Diaz, you know Josh Hader, you know Karinchek, you know Devin Williams, Andres Munoz, and, and Hendricks. Like, this guy is is in that same category in terms of how devastating he is striking out guys. Uh, and you look at his ERA, a 194 ERA, he had a 336 BABIP to go with that 194 ERA. So, like, <laughs> like it could have been even better last year. Should have been, uh, yeah. 88 strikeouts and 60.1 innings pitched. If in football, there's like a fun term, like the handcuff for your running back. Like, I think he is the top closer handcuff in baseball. Like no, now that Josh Hader and Devin Williams aren't on the same team anymore. I think he's legit the best closer. If anything were to happen to Ryan Presley, who's already shown that he's had some injury problems the last couple of years. And, you know, he was great in the playoffs, but like, if you're looking for a spec closer that you could get a bunch of saves, if something happened to Presley. I love, love drafting Brian Abreu at the end of your draft, especially like in a, you know, a, a DC 50 or something like that, where you can just have him stashed. And if he gets the closer job, you'll accumulate a whole bunch of saves. I like him better than Montero. And I think he would get the shot over Montero. That's what I was going to ask. Cause you know, it's kind of a head scratcher why they signed Montero when I, I thought he was destined for another closer role because he was no, no slouch either with, 73 strikeouts in 68 innings, 237 ERA, but Montero's 32 and, and Abreu's like 24. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a good one though. That that feels more like a, a Mendy deep shot that like, <laughs> you know, me listening to a podcast, I'm like, man, where's, where's, where else am I hearing to draft a guy whose ADP is 600? Yeah. I, I love it, dude. Um, all right. So. Give us another uh, starter, Mendy, because I, like I said, I only got two more that I I had prepped for this one. Okay, another starter that I looked at, and this is recently with a trade that went down, was Kyle Muller 
of now the Oakland Athletics. Now, okay. granted, I, I'm going to be honest with your listeners. Like, I'm not screaming from the, the rooftops like I am about Tristan McKenzie or Hunter Brown or Brian Abreu because he's someone I, I've more started looking at recently. But he, for those that don't, he was the number one pitching prospect in the Atlanta Braves organization when they traded him in the recent Sean Murphy trade. And in AAA last year, his, his major league numbers don't look great, but in AAA last year, a 341 ERA, 159 strikeouts, and 134.2 innings, 118 whip. Uh, he's six foot seven, and he had increased, uh, increased the mile per hour average velocity on his fastball a tick from 21 to 22. Now he can touch 97 on it. He also pitches it up in the zone and has high spin rates. And he also developed a new power slider that he started using more in 2021 that had a, a over 40% whiff rate on it. And so I think it has the develop, it's already developing into a really good pitch for him. And he has a curve that's also pretty decent as well. He does throw four pitches, uh, but I look mostly at the slider and curve. The changeup's kind of just there. But another big thing, I mean, you, you talk about the things are there. He's on a team that's going to let him go, right? Mm -hmm. The fastball velocity is ticking up. He also has a lot of good spin rates on his fastball. He developed a, a new pitch, his slider, the new power slider that had great success. Then you also look at the fact that his walk rate dropped considerably in 2022 in AAA uh, from what it was the year before. So he's improving his command along with everything else I just listed. He has the prospect pedigree and he's going to get a chance to pitch every day for Oakland, you would think. So I think I have to look where his ADP is. I'm pretty sure it's 647, yeah, like, <laughs> 627. But dude, that I mean, you're that's a really good find because for one, I, you know, we've seen Moeller's name around. I think it was like the the Braves. It was kind of like the carousel of which mm -hmm. up and comer was was going to find a foothold there. But I didn't realize he was six seven two fifty. Like that is a huge yeah. frame. And yeah, that's a great call that. The, the fastball velocity climbed up from 93 to 94. And that's right in that range where like Eno Saris will talk a lot about like, yeah, going from 91 to 92, it's okay. But when you're going from 93 to 94, that's kind of breaking. It's like the stall period if you're like smoking pulled pork. Like when you yeah. can get from 93 yeah. to 94, that's a big jump. And pair it with a slider that's got a 45% whiff rate league average on all pitches on whiff rates are like 25%. Yep. So he's got swing and miss stuff. And if he can get the control in check, which you're saying we were seeing in the minors, I think this is a really good one. Right now he's supposed to be the SP5 for Oakland. So I think you're on to something here, Mendy. Yeah, I mean, again, like I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say he's a league winner or anything, but at that price, like you can take him again at the end of your drafts and if he's a if he bombs like he's not a lot of draft capital but these are the type of things you look for when you're looking for breakouts you're looking for these types of changes uh with pitchers whether it's arsenal velocity uh certain things that you can pinpoint and and sometimes even just having another set of eyes with oakland who has had decent pitching in the past to just be able to you know maybe like hey like instead of throwing this try throwing this more in these in these counts or like you know, try throwing this more into lefties or, or outside to right, like that type of thing. So I think there's the groundwork there for him to be a contributor this year. Yeah, I, I like it. Um, the next one, a little bit more expensive on, on draft day for me, ADP of 223, but I'm interested in Reed Detmers. Um, I know that he's, he's a name for sure. He, he came with the prospect pedigree. 
He came up. It was kind of disappointing. The strikeouts weren't there. Then he had the no-hitter, but the strikeouts still weren't there. But then there was a really interesting stint down in the minors where he worked on his slider. And when he came back, it unlocked what was basically a tale of two seasons. So we talked about K-BB as one of our, our favorite pitching stats in the first half of the season last year as K-BB was 11.3%. In the second half, that jumped up to 17.1% when he struck out 65 batters in 59 innings. And a huge part of that was how he ramped up the, not only the quality of the slider, Max Stassi talked about how basically he was throwing it harder out of his hand. It came more at a downward angle rather than like a sweeping angle. But more so than the quality was the usage of the slider where he was using it like 17% of the time in the first half of the season. By the end of the season, that was up to 33% on the slider usage. And the whiff rate, to speak about the quality, in April, May, before he had kind of workshopped the slider, had a 13% whiff rate. Mm -hmm. In September, a 38% whiff rate. So a lot of steps forward for Reed Detmers last year. You know, he still has some things he's got to he's got to work on the walk rate a little bit. Um, I also don't necessarily love the organization yeah. and the Angels ability to develop pitching. But I think at an ADP of 223, this is a shot that I'm I'm very interested in for a 23 year old who's got kind of the prospect pedigree that he has. But curious your thoughts on Reed Detmers. Yeah, I mean, we saw a big improvement from him, like you were mentioning, from the beginning of the year to what we kind of saw during the second half. Did have a couple struggles down the stretch, but he's going to get a chance to pitch every day for this team, even if it's a six-man rotation, uh, because the Angels need pitching. And he does did show he had some really good swing and miss stuff. Uh, now, at the end of the day, I, I think you're looking at again at the draft price, and it's I think it's very fair for you know, what he did last season. So it's not like you have to make a huge investment into him. Uh, and the fact that we saw some progression from him last year, I think is worth the gamble where he's going. So I, I'm with you. I, I like the call. Yeah. And it's not, it's one that's, um, again, like, like you mentioned, there were some, some bumps in the road down the stretch where he got knocked around a little bit, but I liked that he showed flashes with, you know, a nine strikeout outing and five innings and nine strikeout out mm-hmm. in outing and six innings. So um, enough there that definitely has my attention because that's the part of the draft where you're looking for a guy who, you know, when they have a good outing, what's that look like? Mm-hmm. And, and if it's jumping off the page, then you have my attention. So, okay, back to you, Mendy, for, for another one here. Uh, this is the last one I have, and this one I don't have as much necessarily data. I mean, I did gather some data. I want to shout out to Fangraphs because I did look at some writing about him, just breaking down some stuff for him. But Sean Manaya, I'm strictly in like the San Francisco Giants narrative of okay. fixing somebody. There's few teams that do it as well as them. And Sean Manaya, one of the things that I did find is his two pitches that he throws the most right now are a sinking or a sinker I should say and a changeup. Like those are like the two pitches he goes with the most. There's another pitcher on the Giants that has an arsenal very similar. His name is Logan Webb. And they said that the uh, that Logan Webb has adapted the uh the what's it called? The uh seam shift and wake. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's used that to leverage his changeup and his sinker. So 
Yeah, that's we, we for the listeners, we kind of profiled that it's a new ish stat and it's really complicated to explain. But the analogy that I think it was Eno Saris had mm-hmm. thrown out was like when you throw a beach ball and, and you're you kind of get the spin on it and it rises up. Some of like the gyro of the spin yeah. can be like confusing to hitters. So that's my very non-scientific. It's a great way of explaining it. Yeah. But like they said that, that the Giants have been really good using that and it worked really well for Logan Webb and Logan Webb's become a very serviceable starter the last two years after pretty much being somebody that looked like he wouldn't even be on the team uh, when he pitched a few years ago before that. So like they, I, I'm with the similar profile that Logan Webb shares with Sean Mania. That's what really intrigued me. And then again, like the team context of them having a history of doing this with pitchers of being able to tinker with them. And then you also look at the fact that he, even though he had a 4.96 ERA, he had a 3.90 Sierra and a 3.96 XFIP. So those are more in line with his career numbers. Uh, fly ball regression, I would think, would go down. He had uh, a career 13.1% home run per fly ball rate. Uh, last year it was nearly 15%. So wow, yeah. I do think there is some regression there that's going to be there for him and along with the team and, and what I think they're going to do with him in order to get the most out of him. I'm intrigued. I'm really intrigued with Shamanaya and his now where you can get him. I wish yeah. his ADP. His ADP. Oh my god. 437. Dude, right when you said his name, my initial reaction was like, uh, Sean Manaya, like, you know, last year he's being drafted at pick like 135. Yep. I'm there's no way I'm back in. But yeah, you're right. Like it's gone so far that for the narrative reason alone and the fact that, you know, it's we're one season removed from him throwing 180 innings with 195 mm-hmm. strikeouts. I think you bring up some great points there. And that price is like, 437, man. Like truly free. Yeah. Like I would take any San Francisco Giants starter this late in the draft just for the chance that they're going to work their magic on a guy because if it doesn't work, I didn't invest too much in him. Like these are, you take these types of gambles and some of them pay off and some of them don't, but the ones that don't like didn't cost you a lot to do it. So like, why not take the gambles on these guys with on teams that like have the history of doing this. And that's where, when I saw the comparison to the Logan Webb profile, like I immediately like, Whoa, all right, we're in like smash that button. Like I'm, I'm really excited for Sean Manaya next year. Yeah. And I don't think you'd feel, you know, I, I, I know we talk about guys that like, you want to know pretty early on if it's there or not. I don't think you'd have that much anxiety dropping a Sean Manaya right? If if it if it doesn't look good for the first two stats or first two starts, so mm-hmm. yeah, I I like that one. I'm uh I've got a little note on my phone, Mendy, of like players that I like for draft season. Yeah. This, despite all the podcast stuff, <laughs> I'm adding Manaya to the list just because that ADP yep. is irresistible there. So. Uh, we'll wrap up the the last one I have as a Cardinal fan. I can't believe I keep going back to Justin Steele on the Chicago Cubs, <laughs> but there's enough there where I'm pretty interested at ADP 312. So in 119 innings last year, had 126 strikeouts, so just over a strikeout per inning, a 318 ERA. It was the whip at 135, which was, you know, held back there with the 10% walk rate, but Steve and I were talking about Justin Steele throughout last season because he was a pitch mix changer where he ramped up his slider use from 16% up to 31%. 
And the slider was excellent, just a 136 batting average against. All of the the usage there came at the expense of his sinker, which is one of the pitches that he really struggled with. Um, And he had an injury that I think is really keeping him off people's radars in August. But in the the starts leading up to that injury, uh, 36 innings, 47 strikeouts, a .98 ERA, and a 123 whip. So the whip is still not quite as good as what you would hope for in an elite stretch like that. Um, But he's got a 52% ground ball rate, which is 12th in the majors for his, the amount of innings he threw. And what I've liked, it's kind of what I was saying about Detmers is when it looked good for Steele, it looked really good. He had six starts with nine strikeouts or more. um, And he just has this, this ability to really limit hard contact. So He's only 27. I think, um, you know, the, the slider is great. He It'd be great if he could get the velocity up a little bit from that 92 miles per hour mm-hmm. because he doesn't get great extension. But he is a, a spring training watch for sure. If I hear anything about his velocity is up or he's worked on his curveball, which he only, he just, it's basically a show me pitch, but gets good whiffs. I am going to be moving Steele up the board probably 40 or 50 spots. So I, I'm pretty interested in Steele, um, but I don't think you'll have to. I think that he's flying well under the radar despite how good he's looked in, in certain outings. So that's my last one. Any any thoughts or interest in Mr. Justin Steele for the Cubs? A 312 ADP. Uh, I mean, again, these are guys that you don't have to invest a ton in. I like him more than Ranger Suarez, uh, Roanzi Contreras for the Pirates. I'm, I'm still scared, just anybody pitching for the Pirates at this point. Kopech, I think I might have a little more interest in right in that range. Uh, yeah. But my question to you, are you worried that he – how long do you think his leash might be as a starter? Because I think Hayden Wisniewski has been picking up a lot of sleeper vibes. I've heard many people talk about him yeah. as a breakout this year. You obviously have Marcus Stroman. Is Marcus Stroman still there, right? He's, he's still signed. Uh, right now, yeah, it's Stroman, Tyone, Hendricks. Steele is the fourth. So I think okay. if if they do shuffle the deck on the rotation, I think Adrian Sampson would probably be the one okay. that I would hope would make way. Um, the guy you just met, Wesneski. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so if Wesneski gets in, I would hope that it's Sampson. Um, but I think, they, I think they saw enough from Steele last year where, like, I'm getting a little bit of uh, some like Nestor Cortez vibes from from 2021, um, and and I'm intrigued with with Steele. But yeah, you're right. They have some some depth there to where if they add another pitcher, I might worry a little bit. But as the rotation stands right now, I think he should go as long as he's healthy in, in yeah. the rotation. Yeah, and again, 312 ADP. Like, take that shot. Yeah, it's it's a good slider, and it's just one. It's like what you were saying. Just if he can add a pitch or improve a pitch, I think it, it could take off. So that rounds us out, Mendy. Man, a uh, lot of fun, and uh, I didn't think that you would be subbing in for the absent and and sick Steve Giswelli, but I'm sure he's gonna love listening back to this. He told me to tell you, hey, and thanks for coming on the show, but. Uh, also wanted to thank you for coming on the show. It was an absolute blast, dude. Thanks for having me, man, dude. It's fun to, to reconnect with you. We will spoiler be doing this again uh, next week too. So, uh, you know, obviously you'll hear us too again on on, our, on the Triple Play podcast. But I um, hope Steve, you feel better, and, and thanks again for having me. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, you guys, thanks for tuning in to the show, especially this time of year. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at WindsAbovePod. I am at Van underscore Verified. And Mr. Mendelson is at DMendy02. Yeah, perfect time for a shameless plug, guys. Go check out Triple Play Fantasy Podcast, and I will also be guesting on there next week, like Mendy mentioned. Uh, But that signs us out for episode 81 of Wins Above Fantasy. Thanks for talking baseball with us.